I have a question for you this morning. What comes to mind when you hear this word, marriage? There was a guy who was talking to his friend, and his friend asked him why he had never married, and his friend said, well, I guess I've never met the right woman. I guess I've been looking for the perfect wife. And his friend replied, well, I'm sure there must have been at least one woman that you wanted to marry. And he said, yeah, there was this, this one woman. And I'll tell you what, she was perfect in every way. In fact, she was the only perfect woman I have ever met. And his friend said, well, why didn't you marry her? And he said, because she was looking for the perfect man. Now, speaking of the perfect man, this week I heard about a panel of women who conferred to come up with what they believed was the perfect man. And you would think it would be some actor or an athlete or a business guy, but instead, this is a picture of the individual that these women consider to be the perfect man. Are you ready? Here it is. Mr. Potato Head. Now, you may be wondering, why is Mr. Potato Head the perfect man? And there are four reasons these ladies gave. Number one, he's tan, he's cute, he knows how to accessorize, and if he looks at another woman, you can rearrange his face. <laughs> now, seriously, when it comes to the topic of marriage, I know that there are all kinds of experiences that people have. Some of you are married this morning. Some of you are here with or without your spouse. Um, you may be engaged to be married. Um, you may be a student this morning, and you need to know about marriage. Um, it could be that you've been through a divorce or you're remarried, so there's all kinds of experiences, but there's also different perspectives on marriage as well. For um, quite a number of years here in America, we've seen a concerted effort to redefine marriage. And for thousands of years, uh, marriage has been viewed as a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. And certainly that's a view found in the Bible. It's foundational to our Judeo-Christian heritage. And there's currently a lot of discussion about how those who hold a biblical view of marriage should respond to those who don't. Because as you know, a growing number of people in our culture do not have a biblical view of marriage. Um, a number have embraced um, an idea that's been termed same-sex marriage. And church, let me say this, the Bible is very clear about how believers should respond to those who have perspectives different from those found in the Bible. Scripture really gives us three words to guide us in those interactions, and here those three words are. Are you ready? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. That's what God calls us to do. So how do we do that? Well, one of the ways that we love our neighbor is by caring about our neighbor and having this compassionate love for our neighbor. Another is this. We try to build these relational bridges to get to know our neighbors. And the reason that we want to get to know them is so that we can not only hear their story, but help them understand God's story. We want an opportunity to share God's truth, and we want to do it in a certain way. In fact, we're studying this book of 1 Peter, and Peter says, listen, when you have a chance to, to tell somebody about the hope that you have in Christ, you should do it with gentleness and respect. So that guides us in these interactions. But church, here's something very important. God calls us to connect with people without compromising his truth or his word. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus calls us to live in the same way that he did. Now, let me ask you this. What is the, the title of the series that we're in, the series of messages? You can, you can look at your outline. What is it called? Who can tell me? Living, say it out loud. Yeah, living God's way. 
And this really is the theme of this book of the Bible we're looking at, 1 Peter. And that's really, really important because as we started this series, I pointed out there are basically three ways you can live. You can live your own way. Many people do. You can live the way that other people tell you to live. Many people do. Or you can decide that you're going to live God's way. And when it comes to marriage, one of the topics that often comes up is this, living together without being married. Now, I know that people have all kinds of reasons for, for making that choice. Sometimes it's a financial reason. Um, one of the reasons I often get is, well, we just wanted to kind of take marriage for a, a test drive, a trial run to see if it's going to work out in the future. And, and let me just say this as an aside. Um, the statistics show that those who live together before being married actually have a higher divorce rate than those who don't. But church, the reality is this. We can choose to live our way. We can choose to live the way that other people tell us we should live. Or we can choose to live whose way? Yeah, God's way. And that is so important. And, and listen, I know that, um, that many people, and, and pastors included, are viewed as narrow-minded or even judgmental when we try to hold to a biblical position on marriage and other topics as well. But, but I know this, and I don't just know it because I read it in this book called the Bible. I know this from personal experience. I know this from pain and failure that God's way is the best way. And the reason that God wants us to live his way is because he really does love us, and he really wants what's best for us. And so this morning, with that in mind, I'd like for us to walk through seven verses in the Bible. And let me say this, there's so much that the Bible has to say about marriage. We're just going to look at one particular passage. So I can't say everything that the Bible says, but we're going to focus on some really important principles today. And if you've got one of those brown Bibles and you're following along, this is going to be on page 982. Now, as we look at these verses, I think it's important to realize this. These verses were written by a man named Peter. Was Peter married? Shake your head, yes, he was married. In fact, how do we know that? Because there's a story in the Bible about Jesus healing his mother-in-law, okay? So, here's some important biblical advice on God's plan for marriage. In fact, if we actually take these principles and put them into practice, it will not only improve our marriage, it can give us a marriage makeover. So are you ready? All right, here we go. Beginning with verse one of chapter three, Peter is addressing women, and he says, wives, in the same way. Now, if you're reading this in context, before this, at the end of chapter two, Peter's talking about Jesus and how Jesus lived in submission to the will of his father. And he says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And we're gonna talk about what that really means. So that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And then Peter goes on and says this. He says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. He's saying basically you don't need bling to be beautiful. He says instead it beauty should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. And now as Peter continues he's actually going to use an example from the Old Testament and he says for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters 
if you do what is right, and notice this, and do not give way to fear. And now Peter is going to address husbands, and he says, husbands, guys, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. We'll talk about what that means as well. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, as I begin today, I want to do this, especially for the guys in the room. I want to give you the bottom line because a lot of you guys are going, hey, what is this all about? Here's the bottom line. If you want to have a God-honoring marriage, if you want to have a marriage makeover, four words, learn to be unselfish. Learn to be unselfish. Now, I want to point out that living unselfishly requires something that often has a negative connotation in our culture because living unselfishly requires submission. So what is submission? Here's a, a working definition. Submission is the courage to give up my rights in order to meet the needs of someone else. The courage to give up my rights to meet the needs of somebody else. Now, this is a character trait displayed by Jesus. Did Jesus have the courage to give up his rights to meet the needs of other people? Well, absolutely. I mean, the quintessential example is Jesus gave up his right to life in order to meet our need for a savior. And notice this, submission is a two-way street. Husbands and wives need to learn how to live unselfishly. Both husbands and wives need to have that perspective that, you know, I'm willing to give up my rights in order to meet your needs. And if you're not married this morning, realize this, if you do get married in the future, this is really good stuff to know. And not only that, these principles about living unselfishly don't just apply to marriage. They apply to all of our relationships. So here's the question. Why should we choose to live unselfishly? In fact, some of you may be thinking, man, it's working pretty well so far. <laughs> you know, why give it up? Well, let me challenge you to think in these terms. Here's the first reason to live unselfishly. Unselfish living exerts a powerful influence in the lives of those closest to us. That's one of the principles we see in this passage. Unselfish living exerts a powerful influence on the lives of those closest to us. Look at this verse again. It says, wives, in the same way, that is the same way that Jesus lived, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, this is kind of fascinating when you look at that passage. How many verses are devoted to wives? If you have your Bible open. There's seven verses. How many of those are, are addressed to wives? Six. How many are addressed to husbands? One. Why is that? Well, one person uh, gave this theory that it's six times harder for a woman to live with a man than for a man to live with a woman. I don't think that's the reason that Peter does this, by the way. I think it really has to do with the cultural context because during the time that this was written, back in the first century, the, the position of a wife in society was much more difficult than a husband. Men had all the rights and women had all the responsibilities. And under Jewish law, this is remarkable, a woman was actually considered to be owned by her husband. She was actually his property. And, and there was no lawful reason that a, a wife could leave her husband, but a husband could divorce his wife for almost any reason. That was the, the culture in the Jewish nation. Now, if you look at the Greek civilization, it really wasn't any better. Um, as one writer put it, he said, this is the, the role of a woman to remain indoors and be obedient to her husband. The sign of a good woman is that she sees as little, hears as little, and asks as little as possible. 
Now, there was one writer um, from the first century, a Latin writer, his name was Cato, and he said this, if you were to catch your wife in an act of infidelity, you can kill her with impunity without a trial. But if she were to catch you, she would not venture to touch you with her little finger, and indeed she has no right to. Now, into this kind of cultural situation comes Christianity with this view that men and women are absolutely equal in the eyes of God. And ladies, let me say this. You can imagine the courage that it took for a woman to choose to follow Jesus Christ, especially if her husband didn't make that same choice. And that really is a situation that Peter is addressing here. Now, what advice does he give to a woman in that situation? Does he say, you know what you should do? Leave your husband. Not what Peter says. He says, live with your husband in such a way that God has the opportunity to transform his heart. And that involves living unselfishly. And that's what this idea of submission is all about. But ladies, I want you to understand this. Submission doesn't mean being a doormat. I mean, there's some really bad teaching about submission. Um, submission has its limits. Submission does not mean violating God's commands for you or for your life. But submission does mean having the courage to give up your rights to meet somebody else's needs. And Peter makes this comparison, and this is so important. In the previous chapter, he points out that Jesus submitted himself to the will of God. Jesus lived an unselfish and sacrificial life that changed people and drew them into a relationship with God. And that's what Peter's getting at. He says, in the same way, a woman who is living unselfishly, who's living out her faith, can draw her husband into a relationship with God. Now think about this. How does change in a relationship happen? I mean, how many of you have ever tried to push or argue or nag somebody into changing? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, how does that work, by the way? Not very well. You know what really captures a person's heart and enables them to grow and change? It is unselfish, sacrificial living. It happened with Jesus, and it can happen with us as well. And let me say this, um, regardless of the state of your marriage, you know, you, you may have a marriage that's in really good shape this morning. And if that's the case, I'm really thankful. Um, you may be struggling. Um, you may be considering whether you're even going to stay together. But wherever your marriage is, God can work in your heart and in the heart of your spouse and move you forward and give you the kind of marriage that honors him. And even if you have a really good marriage, God can make it better. So the first reason for being unselfish is that it powerfully affects other people. Here's another reason, because selfishness short-circuits prayer. Our selfishness short-circuits our prayers. And look at these words, again, written to husbands. Peter says, husbands, in the same way, that is, in the same way that Jesus lived, be considered as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And here's the the part that I want you to focus on, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, there's a really important principle here, and it's simply this, that your relationship with people directly affects your relationship with God. The Bible says that when we're being selfish, it's because we're being prideful. And the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I want you to think about this, this very important statement. When it comes to marriage... Your relationship with God can never be right if the way you're treating your spouse is wrong. Let me say that again. When it comes to marriage, 
Your relationship with God can never be right if the way you're treating your spouse is wrong. Now, so far, we've looked at some really good reasons why we should be unselfish, and that brings up another question to consider. How can I do this? How can I actually be unselfish in terms of my husband or my wife? And here's the first way to do it. Understand your spouse's needs and seek to meet them. Understand your spouse's needs and seek to meet them. Look at verse 7 again. Peter says, You husbands, in the same way, and again, in the same unselfish way that Jesus lived, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now that phrase, understanding, literally means to live together according to knowledge. So if you're going to be unselfish, you have to know what your spouse needs. I remember reading a story about this man and his wife. They went to marriage counseling, and the counselor listened to all of their problems, and then he did this. He went over um, to where the wife was sitting, and he lifted her up out of her chair and gave her a really big hug, and then he turned to her husband and said, that's what your wife needs three times a week for the next 30 days. And the husband said, well, okay, but, you know, I'm a pretty busy guy, so can I bring her here to you on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? Guys, do you know, I mean, really know what your wife needs? And ladies, do you know, I mean, really know, what your husband needs? And the question is, how can you figure that out? And I think the starting place is simply this, to listen. To listen not just to the words, but the heart behind the words. Um, it's like the couple who were at a party and the husband um, said, you know, my wife and I have a great marriage. We would never need marriage counseling. When we were in college, my wife was a communications major and I studied drama. And whenever we have a conversation, she communicates really well and I just act like I'm listening. So how do you actually improve your listening skill? Well, there are three things, just real briefly. Number one, you have to be willing to work at it because listening is not a skill that comes naturally. You know, when we're having a conversation so often, we're mainly focused on what we're thinking or what we're gonna say next rather than listening, I mean really listening to what someone else is sharing. And I've discovered this. Often the time when I need to listen is when I at least feel like it. And guys, maybe you can relate to that. You come home at the end of a long, hard day and you just need some space. And what your wife needs is to talk. And so you have to make a choice. Are you going to sacrifice your needs in order to meet hers? You have to do that sometimes to be a good listener. Here's another way to be a good listener. Let the person communicate in their own style. Because did you know this, that men and women have different communication styles? We all know that, don't we? I mean, here's what women typically want to do. They want to tell you the whole story because they want you to understand how they feel about it. Ladies, am I right? Okay, nod your head. I've been married a long time. I know I'm right. Okay. Now, guys, on the other hand, we're thinking, okay, when is this story going to end? Because listen, I just want to get to the bottom line. I mean, lady, you want to you talk it out. Guys just want to fix it. Let me tell you what to do. And so sometimes, guys, and I, I still have to coach myself to be a better listener. But it's a really important skill. And, and here's one really practical thing, and I think I've shared this with you before. If you're going to be a good listener, make eye contact. Okay, put down the phone, turn off the TV, look into your spouse's eyes, because when you do, you're saying, you know what, you are really important to me, and I really want to understand what you're trying to tell me. Eye contact is really important. So, the first way to be unselfish is to understand your spouse's needs. And here's the second way. And this is a really big idea in scripture. Respect your spouse. 
Respect your spouse. Now this will date some of you, but how many of you remember a song with these lyrics? R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what that means to me. I was gonna sing it or play an audio clip, but, but who, who, um, who sang that song? Yeah, Aretha Franklin. And you know what? Some of those lyrics are spot on. Now look at this verse again. It says, husbands, in the same way as Jesus lived, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Now notice the next phrase, as the weaker partner. And some of you ladies are going, what in the world is up with that? I am not the weaker partner. Now, can I tell you something? This is so straightforward that you might miss it. Peter is simply saying, in general, men are physically stronger than women. That's what he's saying. And that's generally true. Now, I know it's not always true, but generally, guys are just physically stronger. And because, guys, we are physically stronger, we need to be considerate of our wives because they're not usually as strong as we are. When you need to move that heavy sofa, don't just say, honey, get the other end. Find a guy to do it. That's what it means to treat them as the weaker partner, physically speaking. But notice this, this quick transition, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Now he's talking about the fact that if a husband is a believer and a wife is a believer, then you are co-heirs with Christ. You have inherited eternal life. You're absolutely equal in the eyes of God. And that's the framework for this mutual love and this mutual respect that should characterize a godly marriage. And we see this idea, obviously, Peter's saying, husbands, respect your wives. But does the Bible ever say, wives, respect your husbands? Well, yes, it does. There's a passage, I'll show it to you. It's in Ephesians. And it says this, however, and this is Paul this time talking to husbands, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must Where's the word? R-E-S-P-E-C-T, her husband. So it's a two-way street. Now, this is really important. Another word for respect is honor or value. And here's, here's the deal. Even if I know what my wife needs, I'm not too concerned about meeting that need unless I value her unless I honor her and love her. Let me ask you this. If I tell you that my house has appreciated, what does that mean? It's gone up in value, right? My house is appreciated. Hey, that's great news. It's gone up in value. What if I say my house is depreciated? What does that mean? It's gone down in value. So if you're married this morning, I have a question for you. Right now, is your spouse, your husband or your wife, appreciating or depreciating in your eyes? Is their value going up or is their value going down? And that's a really important question. And, and let me say this as well. A few weeks we talked about this. Why are you valuable in God's eyes? Why are you valuable? Is it because you're intelligent and good-looking and hardworking and successful and well-connected and talented? No, it's because God made you in his image. It's because God loves you. So, so guys, when you think about your wife, why is your wife valuable to you? Is it because of what she can do for you? Or is it because of who she is as a woman? Made in the image of God, loved dearly by God. And therefore, someone who should be dearly loved by you. And, and why is the same thing? Why is your husband valuable to you? Is it because of the fact that he's a, a good provider? A good protector? Or just because he is a man made in the image of God, loved by God. 
and therefore a man who needs to be loved by you. Now let me just close with, with a thought this morning. As I began the message, I gave you the bottom line. What's the bottom line if you want a godly marriage? Who can tell me? Four words. Learn to be? Okay. Can you say that like you mean it? I know this is hard. Okay. Ready? Learn to be? Okay. Learn to be unselfish. Now, if we want to learn to be unselfish, who is our model? Who lived the most unselfish life ever lived? Good. I didn't have to coach you there. That's great. Yeah, we know. That's Jesus, obviously. Now, here's another question, and it's really important. Maybe this morning as you've listened to this, because I've heard some, some silence this morning. I think some of you are processing this, which is a good thing. You may be thinking to yourself, I get this, but honestly, I really don't have much desire to work on my marriage or to do the things that need to happen for it to get better. And, and honestly, I'm not even sure I have the ability to do that. Who can you go to and say, would you please give me the desire and ability to have a marriage that honors God? Who can you go to? You can go to God. You can go to Jesus. Because he will do that. And one final question. Who is it that can enable you to make and keep a commitment to your spouse that lasts a lifetime? What is his name? Starts with a J, ends with an S. Who is it? It's Jesus. And Jesus' church proved, he proved that God's way is the best way. pray with me this morning. Father, help us to rethink marriage from your point of view. God, we pray this morning that whatever our experience or perspective has been, that you by your spirit would convince us that your way is the best way. God, help us to live unselfishly, sacrificially. God, help us to love each other, especially our husbands and wives, God, as you love us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.